1: Welcome to Taking Back Our Corners, the officially unofficial podcast for We Own The City on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're here to do our, can't even call it a season wrap-up, series wrap-up uh, for mm-hmm. We Own The City. We've seen all the episodes. We've gotten a boatload of feedback from what I'm told. Uh, we're here to consider it. Aaron, hey, what do we got?
0: Yeah, uh, we've got a lot of feedback. Uh there's been events in the news in the last week that tangentially or directly touch on some of the stuff. We've got some commentary on that. Uh, we got mm. some dissenting opinions that so we need to, to, to educate, and uh, I guess we should just get right into it. First up is Matt from Bristol. He's from the United Kingdom. Uh, as you're watching this show, are you assuming the character details are mostly true to life? For example, if Simon's trying to make an actual point about competence with the flute, the flautist, Does that mean Eric Jensen doesn't play the flute in real life? I'm not sure if it matters too much as the metaphorical truth is sometimes more important than the literal truth in a drama like this, but I'm curious what you think. Uh, Thanks for the email, Matt.
1: Yeah. Most shows I don't. Um, Most shows like this, I will just kind of say, eh, it's probably not very close to reality or if it is, it's only in the broad strokes. Um, Here. I feel like David Simon tends and Pelicanos tend to, stick a little closer to reality. And the story they're telling is one that is, you know, crazy and fucked up enough to be like one of the stories you could just tell how it happened. And it's, it's entertaining and engrossing and all those things. So I, I give his stuff um, a little bit more credence when it comes to like the details.
0: I think it also, um, it depends on whether people are composites. Like for example, Nicole Steele, Mm -hmm. she's just invented um yeah yeah. same way with her partner Ahmad. uh i i don't know because i I, the two special agents here i think are composites so uh but i i could be wrong because i haven't actually gone through um i haven't read the book my wife did she finished it last week and she kind of brought uh you know when we were watching the last two episodes she was uh informing me the differences um because I, I, I agree with you. When he's talking about people like Wayne Jenkins and mm-hmm. Detective Suter, people like real people, I think he plays it pretty straight down the middle. But when he does composites, yeah. this is where David Simon can use uh, his experience and George Pelicanos' experience as journalist and working with police officers to kind of like uh, tease out their opinions on things. Um, sure. So like I said, like if she is like, cause it's an easy answer if, uh, if Jensen's a real person and she's a flautist <laughs> in real life, that's just an interesting detail. That's like, you know, I, I, I think that people have a mindset of what police officers are and that includes the FBI and you know, it's, it's kind of cool when you can see that, you know, they're not just one dimensional people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. Um. I don't think it's super important to the to the plot, but it's it's like, it, and then I, I guess that's the other thing is like sometimes I almost forget when we're watching stuff that's inspired by true stories versus not because I don't even know if I if I'd kept that firmly in my in the front of my mind if I would even have said something about the fl- the flouting.
1: Sure, but, uh, it, it's, it's way just, different
0: than a show like The Offer though, where it's
1: based on a book that's memories from a guy who produced the movie, but who's probably a bullshitter professionally. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Like he's not a journalist, right? He's a guy Mm. who is getting paid to tell stories. So yeah, I take that with a a huge
0: grain of salt, a a different allegiance to the truth there. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I, 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 I I don't know. I I thought it was an interesting contrast though. You've got this flute playing FBI agent to seriously and methodically and properly building up a case, respecting these officers, Constitutional rights versus the guys who are out there, you know, making single digit IQ jokes about women and minorities and, you know, flouting the flouting the law. Um, but then her partner was <laughs> sure. a, a contrast to that, too, because he's kind of more in the mold of a Burnthal or a, a Wayne Jenkins in terms of his like relation to pop culture and Mm -hmm. uh food and 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 the finer things in life but he's ultimately a good cop um so yeah i don't know it's just uh, interesting to see the different perspectives Seawells says, man, episode four was the one that broke me up until that point. I'd just been casually watching for enjoyment, relative, uh, relatively understanding things that I've seen before. But the one thing I've always that always bothered me in these sorts of programs as well. I'm not part of the street life. I've learned quite a bit in observing others. The violation of unspoken agreements. I think if you're a cop, a civilian or a criminal, there's certain codes that you just don't violate. Criminals don't work with cops. Civilians aren't part of the game, so shouldn't be targeted by either side. The cops don't do criminal activity. The absolute violation of these rules in the show. Not only are cops a one-sided racket, running a one-sided racketeering ring, it's now very clear that they're actively aiding other criminals to help the criminals they're close with. Really sheds a light on all those jurors just saying, fuck this shit. Wayne Jenkins is pulling a cocaine punisher on the streets, just actively profiling any adult with a backpack or one that he gets a feeling. There's a mistake made by him. He just plants some falsified evidence to get him off the hook, and these civilians aren't even a part of the game. Uh, they get these federal charges that probably ruin their lives. As a black guy, I'd like to think that if I kept my nose clean and just follow the law, I can be aware I'm being profiled, but also I'll make it out clean on the other side just by doing the right thing. This type of behavior is my nightmare scenario. How do you even fix this type of in-depth corruption? Yeah. That violation of these social compacts. Um, yeah. Has been kind of a big theme for the the, the, la- the last week. And I, it's, it's interesting to hear your perspective of like, okay, sure, you can profile me. I live in a, a black neighborhood. There's a lot of crime in the streets. Uh, maybe I, I look like a lot of people committing that crime. But if I haven't done anything, then it should just be a quick look and, hey, you're cool. You're clean. Good to go. Mm-hmm. But you're not guaranteed of that. No. If the cop's ego gets out of control, you say a little something snippy. He's having a bad day uh and and even if even if it's just that last part that we're talking about boy does it get old um being pulled over and i i i i I can't i I don't have the experience of being black but i do have the experience of like uh, i lived in this one county called was nicknamed handcuff county because the officers are infamous for pulling people over for drunk driving and throwing I was a part of an air uh, a model airplane club that flew off hours in a big soccer dome. So like our night would start about two o'clock in the morning. We we'd head home at three o'clock. So I was driving the back roads of green you know Greenfield at three thirty in the morning. During the six months I participated in this hobby, my fucking white ass got pulled over six seven times. <laughs> Always the same bullshit. Oh, you're left the center of the... Bullshit. Mm -hmm. Bull fucking shit. After the first time or two, I started really paying attention to how I was fucking driving. Again, nothing came to it, but it was annoying as fuck. I can't even... And that's just me coming home from my fucking hobbies. I can't imagine my kids in the car. I'm just trying to get home from work. I'm getting stopped dozens of times in some of these people's cases. Like... Mm -hmm even if they're not fucking with your life and just sticking you with felony charges, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. Do we live in a free country or not? I guess. <laughs> right. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. <sighs> um Thanks for the email, wells Evan W says I really think the show does an amazing job using very subtle actions on screen to reinforce certain points themes the show is trying to get across. The FBI Flautist you both mentioned is a great example. My wife point my wife I'm trying my Balmer accent here. <laughs> my wife pointed out another from episode one. Herschel pulls over to man for rolling through a stop sign, and the man's son actually gets the car's registration out of the glove box without even being asked. Kid is maybe six years old. There's a zero chance Hmm. six-year-old me knew where to find my dad's registration card. Probably didn't even know what the fuck it was. Hey, hand me my registration card, boy. What? Uh, This kid does. Why? Because he's been in the car with his parents when they've been pulled over on multiple occasions. A little bit of work on screen drives home the macro-level discussions the DOJ, civil rights lawyers have regarding the Baltimore Police Department and the number of times they stopped the citizens of Baltimore. A question for you guys. Will you be disappointed this show doesn't at least allude to some potential solutions to the issues sur- surrounding policing and drug enforcement in America? Obviously, this email sent in before the final episode. Yeah. Many of our conversations about the show into something along the lines of, but I'm not really sure what to do about it. And I almost always in the same boat. I feel like Hollywood has put out a lot of shows and movies where the lesson essentially is, isn't the war of drugs fucked up? And I agree. But where do we go from there? Yeah, I mean, the Um, obvious answer is end it. It's just harder uh, for various
1: reasons, you know, than than to just say, well, the drug war is over. Let's roll all this back. Uh, Yeah, it's not that easy. Uh, There's a lot of entrenchment around that uh, idea in our in our uh, politics and our justice system in general.
0: Yeah. And there's so many like. So many expansion of things like Rico that was designed to you know Mm -hmm. take down large organized crime and is essentially and is increasingly being used to just target, you know, individual civilians. Um, Even if you like ended the war on drugs, there's so much erosion of our rights and follow on laws. That's like, well, if we're going to give the cops this mission, it's essentially impossible. We got to give them every fucking tool available to do this hopeless job that it's just going to take a generation or two to get back if we ever do if if we started tomorrow mm-hmm. um, and that's you know that that's the, the I mean that's the depressing thing but that's also the hopeful thing is like we got ourselves in a situation over the course of 50 years of just mindlessly pulling the lever for tough on crime for tough on crime anytime there's a society problem in society brutalized criminals um, it's probably going to take us that long to recover from that situation you know um,
1: a lot of it comes back to, like, education, right? We have to – people have to be informed on these topics before we can even start to make a change because otherwise the people who have interests in keeping the status quo uh, will just continue to, to do that. Um, yeah, people have to be aware of the situation and they have to understand, like, it's more than just, oh, drug dealers are violent and they're out on the streets, Um the, the issue is a lot more complex and shows like this go, you know, at least part of the way to, to helping educate people.
0: Yeah, I think that's the the, the what do we do? I think uh, David Simon of Pelican's point is just in the war on drugs. Um, right. We're going to get some pushback to that later on in the feedback. <laughs> but like, I uh-huh. think that I even though, you know, you'd be trading, you know, perhaps the devil that you don't know for the devil, you know, I would even think that's kind of silly because. We know what the country looked like before the war on drugs began like it was it seems like a lot of the war on drugs was an honest attempt to keep some of the the crime and the just, just like the prohibition of alcohol was like to try to solve some societal problems with people being drunk and abandoning their families and beating their wives and children and getting involved in grisly industrial accidents and all kind of like look at all look at all the things that are happening in this country because of this demon alcohol right but you ban it. And those problems don't go away they uh paradoxically get worse and then you also have your nice neighborhoods being overrun with submachine guns and gangsters and you know people competing in a in a free market with no restrictions at all um and that's almost always worse than the thing you're trying or it has always been worse every instance of prohibition i'm aware of in this country has made the problems much 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 worse um so that's I think I think uh I, I think I co signed Simon Appelicano's mission statement that like you can bandage some things, you can rearrange the deck chairs and the Titanic a little bit so it's a little bit more comfortable and efficient for people as we slip under the waves. Um but like until you actually end the war on drugs, that's all you're doing. You're yep. setting new rules on how to hunt people, you know, when the question you gotta ask is why the fuck are we hunting people? Um yeah. for, you know, like really justify it. Uh so um Eric S says one of the recurring talking points is the cops who aren't able to testify due to perjuring themselves but are still allowed to patrol the streets. Situation reminds me of the Starling statistic that I came across a while back. Ninety seven percent of all federal and ninety-four percent of state convictions are obtained through plea deals. This means a very few cases actually make it to court where these perjured cops would have to take the stand. So in a department's mind, who cares if these cops can't take the stand, they won't have to 94% of the time. I think this also speaks to a point you have made earlier in the season of police taking advantage of people, not knowing their rights. Many people don't have the ability to get a lawyer or can't spend the time fighting a trumped up case. The show does a good job of pointing out how police will write reports so they can get as many charges as possible to uh, alluding to charge stacking um you know it's a shocking off like you're gonna be doing 35 40 50 years in prison uh but if you say that you're sorry and you're guilty and accept this eh, you know we can make you let you slide to three to five like a lot of people gonna take that deal mm-hmm. um this forces people that means to take the plea deal just so they can get back to their families as soon as possible uh yeah you got any thoughts jim i mean the
1: and then you add on, like, uh, even if those people do know their rights, uh, yeah, like you said, if they don't have means, they're stuck with lawyers who are overloaded um, and may, you know, pressure them into because they just need to get cases off
0: their hands,
1: uh, pressure them into taking plea deals. You know, it's the the whole system is kind of pushing them in that direction.
0: And without body cams and, and better documentation with the police's reputation increasingly in shambles across the country, the very real. Fear of, like, well, I didn't do anything wrong, but some guy dropped a baggie of coke in my backseat, and now I'm 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 doing federal charges for nothing I've done. Like it's, mm-hmm. like Seawell said, it's a nightmare scenario. Um, and the other thing is, like, that's like, so you're talking about the ninety seven percent, ninety four percent conviction, you know, plea deals. Like that's that's like you know the percentage of things that don't even go to trial; they're just kind of rubber stamped that's even ignoring the official stated policy of the bpd which is just to push people off the streets their rights be damned like yeah. you got the right to sit on your stoop and drink a, a, a beer um but if this guy's like interdicting his corner because he doesn't want to even get shot and they're just shut like they don't give a fuck if you're they want you in the house or they'll put you in the back of a paddy wagon they got they got a district attorney that's given get out of jail f- slips free to try to keep the county from getting sued like it's Like, like this, this, what you're talking about is even beyond, you know, the, the bounds of the insanity that's already happening. So like, can Herschel stick a charge? No. Can Herschel crack skulls to get people off a corner? Absolutely. Which is why he was still useful to the cops. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, this is like, if, if you're familiar with the wire, the concept of juking the stats. Um, tr- Like l- the appearance of looking like you're doing something for crime, even when you're not, because the reality is so- like I, that, that's that's the other thing. It's like, I don't think we've like come out and said it. A whole generation of cops have been born and have taken power with the absolute certainty that the war on drugs is, a, is, is fraudulent and there's no way you can win it. There's no fucking way it's ever going to be over. Mm hmm. What's rational people do in those types of stuff? What would you do in your job if you, were, if you were assigned a Sisyphean task that would never end and is, is pointless? You I mean, if you fight. have the power to change it,
1: you have to, you have to change your approach, right? You can't yeah. just continue to do the same thing. It's the, that old uh, thing about the definition of insanity, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, anybody who does have the power to change the approach to policing needs to be looking at ways to do that.
0: Yeah, because, like, what you got now is, like, good people are going to find themselves out of the system as quickly as possible. And the others are going to do as little as possible to get by and still get paid. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's the path of least resistance. It's it's extremely predictable. And it's something that I think a lot of us would do if we were facing these. That's the other thing I think if you got to learn from the... Um, this show is dispel yourself of the idea that if you as a good person with good thoughts were putting into this system, that you would thrive or find some way to change it. Yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Because the people on top don't agree with you and they don't see you as an ally, you uh-huh. know, and the ones that do like the if you want to say Commissioner Davis, if he was given a shot. Those guys are shuffled off because, you know, we don't want any of that shit either. You know, we just we just want the the, the performative motions, the juking of the stats. Uh, we, we want to post a, a certain amount of rest and convictions and pat ourselves on the back that we're doing the best we can. So uh, let's see. Moving on to Scott R says, I grew up near De- Delaware County, Pennsylvania, and can attest to the fact that John Bernthal and a majority of the cast are putting on good Baltimore slash Delco uh accents which is commendable as it's one of the harder american accents to grasp it's wild that you've got such a strong american accent in such a small geographic area you know <laughs> sure. just like i guess it's basically one city yeah but i guess it's like new york's out like what four or five distinct. you know like a brooklyn is different from oh, yeah. a from a bronx which is different from a so um it is wild that you have those those small packets uh pockets of of these uh, accents I find it very interesting how much of accent work is just learning to talk with a certain mouth movement. For example, if you talk while moving your lips as little as possible, you have the start of a decent southern draw. To approximate the Baltimore accent, simply keep the tip of your tongue below the gum line behind your lower teeth while talking with exaggerated lip and mouth movements, speaking as comfortably and naturally as possible. To really nail <laughs> okay. it, you need to emphasize long vowel sounds, good phrases to try, are Baltimore, phone home, and coincidentally, Wayne Jenkins. Would you like to try... A Baltimore a Bal- accent, Baltimore Bal- phone home. <laughs> ball, ball, Bal- Baltimore phone home. Phone home. I feel like I got phone home. Bal- Wayne- Bal- yeah, Bal-
1: Baltimore, but yeah, Baltimore Wayne- is the Z-
0: ultimate word to say. Bal- Bal- Baltimore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if the phone home kind of got a little bit of that Wayne the 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 the, the, the round O sounds, but. Uh, yeah. You know, if, if I kept up for six weeks, maybe I could be as good as Bernthal. I'd have to get embedded mm-hmm. into a squad of police officers and run around a bulletproof S, But, you know, give me six weeks off to do nothing but learn how to talk like a Baltimorean. I can do that. I can do yeah. that. Uh, Out of state boogers says, I got an unpopular opinion for you in a functional democracy where individuals have protected rights. I don't think there's any scenario where we need a no knock warrant executed by plainclothes police officers. We need to raid a place and costume up and raid the place. If you need to execute a warrant in plain clothes, maybe knock. announce that at your police and you're coming in. I looked into this quite a bit after the Breonna Taylor incident and the no knock warrants executed by plain cops uh, during random hours, like the middle of the night in a country with as many guns as there are people is a recipe for both civilians and officers getting shot in a completely predictable way. Change my view. How can I when you're so fucking based and correct? <laughs> right. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, that makes a certain amount of sense. If I want to make a grisly prediction, I think the next decade we're going to have many such cases of Brianna, like Brianna Taylor type situations. And mm-hmm. you're going to have instances where the civilians come off the better. Well, no, they're never going to come off the better. They're going to be killed and or put on trial. But you're going to see a lot of officers slain in the quote unquote line of duty when they're dressed up like black ninjas busting down people's doors in the middle of the fucking night in bad yeah. neighborhoods that are heavily armed like they're gonna they're gonna it's it's inevitable it's like one of those things where you know if i if i went and fucking waxed the intersections of cincinnati fucking accidents would be up like it's cause and effect um right now what lessons do
1: you learn from that right do you take do you take away the proper ones um and say maybe we need to change our approach like i said or do you say well we just need to you know mount up even harder right we need better weapons we need better uh armor we need all you know we need to militarize this even more than we already have
0: yeah i mean because that's the ultimate solution you could go put a bunch of ed209s from robocop and just sure. you know have them just cave in the living room wall and minigun everybody and then just fucking try drone to strike some... a house right like what do we sure. need the cops to even do this just yeah you know. <laughs> um and like the frightening thing is we're probably just a generation away from that technology being possible. So, like, where are sure. we? We should be intentional about where we're moving. Because the other thing about the Alati's no-knock warrants are because of the war on drugs. Yeah. So yeah. if you would just stop that, I don't know. Um, entropy bucket. The police response to a tragic school shooting at Uvalde. I don't know because I've not actually heard this pronounced. Um, the Texas. Sco- uh, what is it? I've only read it. Yeah, I haven't heard it. Right, right, right. Because I don't watch a lot of news. I read a lot of news. Uh, mm-hmm. Uvalde. Um, the Texas shooting that happened, the school shooting that happened last last week. Made me reflect on some of the parallels I saw in episode five. The police in Uvalde literally were standing beside the, sh- or outside the school, holding back concerned parents rather than engaging the shooter. They even tasered one dad to keep him from entering the building. Uh, that's one thing I think Jenkins actually did the, in the episode during the riot. He actually took some fucking responsibility and rounded up cops to engage the rioters and at least give those cops some sense of mission and leadership, even brought them lunch. Now, I will step aside from the email and say, like, I don't know that that was an entirely self selfless and, uh, and heroic act that might have mm-hmm. been trying to cloak himself in the, the flag of the fallen. And, you know, the plaques of the slain Baltimore police officers in an in, in effort to get the heat off him. For some shit he's done, but uh, uh, as uh, Entropy Bucket says, it's not the right response, but underlined the leadership vacuum at top-level policing where too many cops are so removed from their communities, they don't even think of themselves as active participants anymore. For all of Jenkins' faults, and boy, there are many, he actually shows some care about the situation and looks to do something. In another life, I'd like to think Jenkins could have turned out to be a really effective leader, but the piss-poor culture and training effectively made that impossible. <sighs> It's not how I read that situation, but okay. It is something to like because the thing about the Uvalde thing I think could be something that is a little bit of a we'll see if it stays in the news cycle, but um there is this implicit the one of the reasons the cops remain so popular in the in United States, and you're fooling yourself if you think they're not. Um even amongst minorities. Most people would rather have the cops around than to disband and just go to anarchy. Um mm-hmm. One of the things is like, okay, sure, you'll, you, you warrior cops will cross the lines and color outside the lines, and you might break some. But like, man, when the chips are down and people with guns are trying to do bad things to us, they're trying to rape and murder us, you'll fucking come in in the harm's way with your body armor and your off off brand, off loan tanks from the government and your high powered rifles, and you'll get shit done. And Uvalde just completely blows that fiction up that these cops are not duty bound to protect shit. And they will like this, this good guy go the gun, stopping a bad guy at the gun. It just doesn't first with the parkland. and Now with this, like these schools had safety officers that were armed. They didn't stop it. And then when the cops, the small town cop department with the fucking SWAT team shows up, they just stay outside until the border patrol fucking arrives. And I, I mean, I, I can't wait to see the full story about sure. this but like you can't have this warrior cop mentality and this utter pussy bullshit in the face of children being slaughtered. Sure. Yeah. I haven't haven't read uh,
1: the details on that stuff, so I'm not sure how it goes um, or how it went. Um, You you mentioned something about like, oh, if this stays in the news cycle, I I think it's almost inevitable that this thing is going to stay in the news cycle, but not this particular shooting, right? Like we Mm -hmm. have had, we continue to have so many of these that it's impossible for shootings to drop out of our news cycle because they happen every day, Uh, Mm -hmm. multiple, like several of them happen all the time. Mm -hmm. It's just, we're, I don't know. And that's like has a twofold effect, right? It constantly keeps it on our minds, but it also desensitizes us to it to where like oh you know that shooting was four people does that even count as a mass shooting well technically yes it does right uh or or that that shooting happened you know in on a street corner or something it wasn't actually like a a serious event here oh oh actually no that shooting was 22 people okay yeah no that counts uh and, and and you start to like say it, it, i don't know it, it escalates like in your mind what is actually a serious event and i don't i don't know how that goes long term right like is anything going to change when every day we see these
0: things and nothing changes you like to think that like you have these seminal moments where Something so big happens that, like you know, that 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 you're forced to change. But I feel like there's had so many of those already, and and it it feels like that there's not even an effort to shake off. It's just you know, uh, well, this is the price of freedom, and you need we need more guns. We need to arm our teachers. (laughs) We need to. You know, make the schools even more like a fortress. We need to um, we need to k- train kids to how to handle active shooter situations um, and that there's not any real change going to be made. And this is like when when you know, people's kids are being murdered. I mean, right. I, it's this This used to get wild. us angry. This used to get us up in arms about these things happening. Now, I, I don't feel it anymore. but I I do think there is something special when you have a whole, like, you know, everyone's seen the, I mean, if you've, if you've followed this in in the news, you've all seen the pictures of this, these people that they, I think they took it in 2019 where they had their, their, their whole police department dressed up in paramilitary fatigues with their rifles and their own formation. And they're talking about serving and protecting. And then they get the situation where there's an actor. And people say, well, he already barricaded himself in a room with like 30 kids. And most of them are dead already. I, Again, still getting information. I don't know why we don't know all the details a week after. That's kind of curious. But uh, I've heard that several of the children died en route to the hospital, implying that actually, if they gotten in there in the first 10 minutes and kicked down that door, a lot of those kids would probably have a chance to live. A, I don't know what kind of life after you get you start off in third grade getting shot up, but they would mm-hmm. be alive. Um And i think like i said this this tends to be i I think this there's a bigger potential for this to be scandalous because again i think a lot of society will put up with brutal cops if they if they think they're brutalizing the right people number one Mm because that's like every cop show ever right like you want the you want you don't want Starsky and husk respecting people's rights you want them bashing down doors and brutalizing people you don't want bat let's say it's, it's batman it's the batman fantasy but like, if Batman just like imagine if Batman just like fucking brutalizes small small te- uh, uh, like hoodlums that like are armed with like blackjacks and knives, and then when the Joker shows up with an army of dudes with assault rifles he hid in the Batcave, mm-hmm. that's I, I think this is where the country might change because like, hey, we're going along with this whole uh, hero military warrior cops thing, but you guys, when there's an actual situation where you might get hurt you're not going to you know answer the bell it's i don't know, it's fucking it's fucking crazy to me and it might it might change people's opinions for the wrong reasons maybe but it's i don't know sure uh severin h says i'm a first responder has attended police academy fire academy and paramedic school so i have all areas of emergency response covered all right we have an expert expert witness coming in to testify here mm-hmm Another thing I have in common with your podcast and commentary is, in fact, I learned all of these skills in Cleveland, exactly where you guys talk about the podcast Serial Season 3. I love the first season of Serial, just like the rest of the United States. I kept up and listened to all of Season 2 as well. When Season 3 came around, I listened to the first episode and realized that I was listening to my work life from my hometown, and I just didn't return to finish the season. Yeah. I knew... And I worked with the police department. Every officer mentioned in that season of Serial, I knew the podcast just hit a bit too close to home and I didn't finish it. And while I currently work as a firefighter, I still have those professional experiences under my belt. In addition to that, I have friends that are cops, sheriffs and detectives. In fact, on the podcast I do solo, I have an opportunity to interview a police officer from one of the suburbs of Chicago and I plans on doing a few more. I offer a brief description of my credentials because I wrote a book on being a first responder in the book. I do a brief history of where firefighters and police officers started professions go back to the Roman area and it's a lot to it. The part of policing that necessarily evolved to keep up with those breaking the laws of the lands, uh, if you fast forward to the United States and the policing done here, police were trained at and looked at or looked at and trained as slave catchers, which I think we talked about in one of the episodes. But I, I kind of lose track of what we do and don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Sure, there's a time when police or marshals or sheriffs and deputies existed before enslaved people were brought to the US. But once here, their job evolved. And while we are in a new day, age and era, some of those tactics and mentalities are still prevalent in today's education to new officers. If you couldn't. And, and that makes a lot of sense. Like, you think of so much of, like, a military culture, like, Marines know their history back to the 17th fucking century. Like, hmm. the, the like most of the shit you hear in the Marines the shores of their shores are Tripoli. E. Do you fucking know when that happened? Yeah. It's like when the wooden, like, when there were w- wooden <laughs> sailing ships and, like, you know, cannons and Pirates of the Caribbean era. So, like, what makes you think a lot of these police institutions don't have some of their teeth-cutting, like, history still embedded in their DNA? And they're kind of proud of it, you know, makes sense to me anyway. Our uh, feedbacker continues. If you couldn't tell, I'm black and listening to you guys talk about situations you've never experienced but empathize with through the show's eyes is what makes prestige TV and storytelling so profound. You don't have to be there, but can still understand it's something that you should be. uh, You don't have to be there, but can still understand it's something that you should still both be proud of. Well, thank you. All too often, I've tried to explain the situation to poor, underprivileged, and underserved to some of my coworkers, but it's like it goes in one ear and out the other. Sometimes, no matter what or how you explain a situation, a person won't believe that fat meat is greasy. Most times, people come from a position of privilege, look at everyone as needing to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. That's not only an insult, but it shows a lack of understanding of different people's struggles in life. That's um, a You know, that's another one, like the, the, the bad apples. Like, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps was an originally a metaphor of something impossible right because if you have straps on your boots right now pull as fucking hard as you can motherfucker and see if you lift an inch off the ground yeah but people are unironically saying that as if it's a life coaching strategy you should just pull yourself up by your bootstraps the fuck Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm That's crazy. I think like,
1: um, some of this, you know, just, uh, going in one ear and out the other is they, they have no incentive. Like what is the incentive for somebody who hasn't experienced these things in their day-to-day life to really like latch onto them and, and make something of it in their life, you know, may help make the change required to, to end these policies and stuff like I get it. Everybody has like a lot of concerns in their life. Right. And to add something like this to someone who isn't experiencing directly these things is a big ask. in A lot of cases.
0: You know, it's like I've thought about this back when I did a political podcast. Like, you know, how can you get through to people? How can you change people's minds? And, you know, I think about like it's, it's often mentioned um, amongst progressives that like, you know, like it's ironic that you have like conservatives that are anti-gay. Until their son or daughter or nephew turns out to be gay and then they change their tune. They have a personal experience and they're like, mm-hmm. you know, they did cry that. But like that actually makes a lot of fucking sense to me because, you know, if, if you go into it's like so like if, if you're at a gas station and some dude comes up and says, oh, man, my car broke down. I got to get back to my family. I just need a few bucks. Can you help me out? What do you think? What do you what is on your mind, Jim? Uh, I'm probably concerned for that person first but and do you foremost. think that they actually have a car that's broken down at that gas station and a few bucks will get them home to there or do you think that this oh, is oh i mean yeah a few bucks is a joke but uh right sure um <laughs> get where you're going so so like you're 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 afraid it's like you're okay like you're, you you might give the guy money because you have sympathy mm-hmm. for homeless people you might not but you're probably not thinking oh i'm actually helping this guy get home to his family but the sure. situation changes if like I was in your passenger seat and I get out I'm like, Oh, Greg, fuck, man, you it's like that's your car. It's like you gotta get home to Bonnie. Like cuz you can your car can break down at a gas station you run out of gas and be in a spot like that if you're sure. like if me your best friend vouches for george or gregory or whoever you're probably more inclined to give him money and take their problems as real and i think one of the mm-hmm. big problems this country is we have segregated ourselves by race and social status so much that we don't know how each other lives like sure. if you've not grown up poor or black or Hispanic or gay, you really don't know what the daily grind of that is. And you can be told comforting lies about like, oh, they're just whining to get more. It's jealousy. It's entitlement. It's it's just people, you know, but and, and who is going to be your friend and your friend group? That's going like, well, that's actually a bunch of bullshit. These people are struggling. They need help. Yeah, that's probably why, you know, urban areas tend to
1: be more progressive, right? Because the, the melting pot is actually forces a thing there, people right? To live yeah, together. It, yeah. Everybody knows people of different uh, colors and sexes and races and all of the stuff. So, like, yeah, it's harder to be unsympathetic to people's causes when you know those people.
0: Yeah, it's the same reason why, like, the quote unquote, you know, the, the coastal elites, like, the, the reason that they're so progressive is because, yeah, they, it's a lot of people living together and you get like socialized with different people. So you're not freaked out by them. Mm-hmm. But it's also like people kind of just being born with a set of correct beliefs because their parents believed it before them and their parents believed it before them. And sure. they think that that like I think there's this like big misunderstanding that there's people that are good and there's people that are bad. And that the people that are bad are manifestly bad because they're having these bad behaviors. But a lot of people just really haven't been taught any otherwise uh, the the believer act otherwise. And they've never seen any evidence that they trust that they're wrong, you know. And since we are so segregated, segregated and balkanized, there isn't that person that's sitting in the passenger seat that can be like, actually, these people aren't full of shit. And they actually are broken down and they just need a couple bucks and they could be on their way. Um, and if we don't do something to help them, what's going to happen is you're going to have a hundred of them camping at the gas station and no one can get gas and it's an unsafe situation and blah, blah, blah. Like there's, there's not that theoretical friend that can bridge the gap and be like, this person's not lying. This person's mm-hmm. not trying to take advantage of you. And I don't know what to do about that. Uh, uh, You know, how do you force people to kind of mix together? You know, you can't, right? Uh, Yeah. I mean, you certainly can't,
1: uh force them to but i think like in one of david simon's other series um shit what's the name of it the one about show me a hero hero. yeah he gets to a little bit of this too right like with public housing um and you've got all these people there's a huge class divide here right where people do not want this in their backyard um because you know for various reasons uh and that is a barrier to mixing people of different societal classes, um, people mm-hmm. of money with people without. Uh, and so those people become ever more segregated and ever more uh, unwilling to engage with the other side's problems. And and, and I, I don't want to say like also, well, let me go back to the, the you know, uh, societal progressiveness in urban areas that also comes at a cost too, right? Because those people who are living in those cities don't ever engage with people who are outside of the city. Uh, And then you get a bunch of divides there and you end up with culture wars between those people. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so that it's, I I don't know. There are ways to certainly encourage it. um, The, the, the mixing of, of people, but there, there are a lot of barriers to that. And it's mostly like entrenched views about those people and, and, oftentimes false views about those people
0: yeah um i think that ironically i think entertainment is does a lot to help like you know everyone that watches Uh we own the city that you know might have if, if you really engage with it then you might come away thinking a little bit different and you can be that friend in the passenger seat that kind of like uh, vouches for the situation. Um it's always good to educate ourselves. Um and like I also like I think that um you know those people that are on the coast that are living in progressive areas, I would encourage them to do some more reading because like I found a lot of people that have correct beliefs, they cannot defend them. And sure. if you are if you've never had to like from a first principles like explain why you know despite being 13% of the population black people commit 50% of the violent crime in the country if you if 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 you haven't actually thought about that and why it's it that's a true statistic that's extremely misleading and mm-hmm. like how you can you know uh, look at the numbers in a different way and account for stuff and the, and the systemic imbalances and like have that wash out like you're at a high risk of being radicalized because people can tell you true things uh that are extremely misleading about they'll tell you true descriptions of of the face of things but they can't tell you why they got that way and how to make them better and I feel like there's a lot of people that live in big cities that live in blue states that again you know want to respect like gay gay people's rights and minorities and want but like if, if they got into politics or tried to go to their neighbors that live in the suburbs, especially the rural areas, just kidding. You guys never go. You guys never go out in the country. You would have no right. idea how to even begin to have a good faith. Um, not even a debate to try to change someone's mind or influence them or nudge them in that. And like, God damn, it's scary when the country gets this segregated and balkanized and we can't even talk to each other about it. It really is. Um, so uh, F- uh, wrapping up um, uh, Severin here says the topic of policing is frustrating, confusing, and at times just downright baffling. We know that uh, we all know that there's a need for police to an extent. The problem is what kind of police are you going to get if you call? A job that's supposed to be one where you can go and talk to the officer at any time for anything has turned into people who are completely innocent of doing anything or even scared to make eye contact with an officer for fear of harassment. Yeah, I c- I just had a situation this weekend where I was at a Cincinnati park and there was a young kid who seemed like he had a screw loose or two who had a throwing knife and he was throwing knives at a, uh, uh, a tree. There's lots of families around and I don't think he's being super careful about what was behind his target. <laughs> and I'd like uh-huh. to call the cops and be like, hey, can you come down here and talk to this guy, maybe confiscate his knife? And but I didn't. Because I didn't want to be eating my ice cream in a park and see some dude get shot to death. Right. Because he had a knife and he was fucking around and he didn't wasn't properly supervised. And like, but I should. I should feel like it's a greater good to call authorities and the authorities would know how to properly de escalate and, and work with this young man. Uh, it sucks to try to figure out, like, goddamn, do I really need the cops in this situation? Is it really worth calling? Because. Right. That's the other sad fact is. After like cops don't really do shit. You get your house robbed. You get your bike stole. You get your car broken into. Yeah, they'll come make a statement uh, for your insurance company. They're going to (laughs) investigate shit. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Baltimore to murder clearance rates below 50%. So it's not even like minor petty shit. It's like the serious Mm -hmm. shit. So like, yeah, what the fuck? Anyway, Severn, Severn also had a story about how he himself was taken advantage of as a young black man when his mom license plates need to get replaced and they got classified as stolen tags rather than replacement tags and the cops decided that meant he was driving a stolen vehicle and he got drug out and all this shit happened to him Hmm. Um, it's garden variety stuff that that happens like if you have a black friend and you talk to them almost every one of them is going to have an instance where they've gotten fucked over by the system large or small yeah so even if you live in the right neighborhoods and not, like that was the whole point in Nicole's story to Ahmed, you know, like there's no defense. Um, mm. if, if you have dark skin, uh, it's just going to happen. Thanks for the email. Chris G says cops are the easiest target to take down, but the underlying problem never goes away. That's my takeaway after watching the finale. That isn't it to excuse criminal behavior of guys like Jenkins, Herschel or the rest of the gun trace task force. But we, as we saw in the final episode when Nicole talks to the instructor at the academy and then tries to go beyond simply police reform and address the root problem. She is shut down quickly. Politicians want to be seen as tough on crime. So they push for stats showing how their policies are making a difference. We saw the mayor tell Commissioner Davis to lower crime using the resources he had. The police chiefs juke the stats to meet the numbers politicians want, and it all rolls downhill. We see this here in Chicago. Violent crimes are reclassified as lesser crimes, and then every month the mayor and police have a press conference praising themselves for lowering crime. I've heard about this, where, like, they'll, like, consider, like, lesser forms of assault as no longer violent crime, just to keep the numbers down a little bit, you know? Sure. Like... <laughs> Grasping at
1: straws. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um yeah. Uh it'd be like if wildfire is a problem in, in California and they just uh well, you know, wildfire implies a natural cause. So we're going to anything that's man made, we're gonna call something different. It's no longer a wildfire. So yeah. like it's caused by lightning or things like it the problem is your state's on fire, man. You know? Right. Um things will never change until uh, the harder to tackle problems and people responsible for them are held accountable. I wish I had easy solutions like you guys talked on the recap. It's a problem that'll take generations to fix, and there's no guarantee that it'll work. Just hope and pray, I guess, which is frustrating. I don't. I like it. If 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 we believe that the root problem is the war on drugs, it seems like we can hold our officials increasingly accountable for that and make it unpopular to support those things. Um, but it takes sure. voters educating themselves, mm-hmm. like. That's a, and get involved in your local primaries. Like when I'm going through my primaries and I'm looking for district attorneys and stuff on the Democrat side, I'm looking for things like tough on crime. And then I put put them into the, I'm not going to vote for them pile. I'm looking for people who are talking about systemic racism, systemic institutions, uh, refocusing funding on community programs, uh, police reform, body cameras, that kind of stuff. But like, I like in the la- my last precinct in the in midterm uh primaries like I think f- 1500 people showed up. <laughs> in an area that has like I don't know 60 70,000 people. So like it wouldn't take that many m- more of us to like make a positive fucking change but we got to show up. Yeah. Uh I I don't know. Like I that's that's the thing. Like it, that's the bare minimum you can do is participate in every every uh, state and local election off year. All that kind of stuff, because that's where the fuckery really, really happens. That's the thing. I mean, when you're talking
1: about politicians, accountability means voting them out. You know, that, that is the definition of accountability, unless they're like, actually breaking laws. Right. Uh, sure. Tax evasion, uh, throw them in prison. But like the, the actual method for holding them accountable is being informed about who their opponents are and voting for the person you like better. Voting yeah. on these issues.
0: And it's like, you know, I people to say the change is impossible. It's like, man, the civil rights movement just 50 years ago. Right. There's like African-Americans in the South who in many cases weren't allowed to freely participate in elections were segregated from restaurants, from bathrooms, from water fountains, from buses, from all kinds of civic life. Forced a change to occur, occur, occur um with determination and the willingness to face bullets and dog teeth and riot gear and all kinds of shit and like when i see people saying things that i'm guilty of it myself is like oh there's no hope there's never any change not with that attitude fuck no and it might get to where we have to do more than voting we might have to march we might have to protest we might have to put ourselves in harm's way against these fucking tanks and bulletproof vests and, and bleed in the streets. Cause that's what it seems like until you just get fucking brutalized, um, like nonviolently, if, if you, your are nonviolent movements gets, gets brutalized by authorities, that's what it takes to make change. And <laughs> I. Right. Right? When I was younger, I wanted to think that that wouldn't have to happen, but I feel like it's going to. I feel like just like the labor movement in the 20s and 30s, just like the civil rights movement in the 50s, 60s and 70s, it's going to take good people um, who who have stake in society risking those things to make a change um, and and make and and gather the sympathy and support that we need to break through this, this segregation and balkanization that we put ourselves into so it's not hopeless it's just that it's probably going to be super painful and at what at what point have we collectively as society had enough pain here are the highlights coming up this week on bald move all new pulp and prestige this week on tuesday we'll cover the latest episode of the walking dead the ones who live on pulp and on thursday we'll catch up with the latest samurai subterfuge on fx hulu shogun
1: Then on our House of the Dragon feed, Anthony puts on his Maester's class on Monday. and Then on Thursday, Steve joins him for Electric Bukaloo as they continue their discussion of George R.R. Martin's A Clash of
0: Kings. Find these and many of our other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Rick, how you doing, buddy? You... you don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man, do, do you even know what it's like out there? N- no, n- not really. I've been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne into the cell phones, that kind of thing. What is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's
1: time to find out, man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne was out uh, following a giant wagon train.
0: That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judah with her, right? Um, actually,
1: she kind of left them to be raised by... Negan and Daryl? Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. All right, Well, Rick is getting ready, Aaron and I are too. We're preparing to once again recommission the watching dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, the ones who live. The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC, and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows? Maybe we'll check out Dead City. Find our coverage for The Ones Who Live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever you listen to podcasts. FX is adapting James Clavell's best-selling novel Shogun into a 10-part miniseries this spring. Set in the shogunate period of Japan at the turn of the 15th century, Shogun depicts the rise of a feudal lord to Shogun as seen through the eyes of a shipwrecked English sailor. It's loosely based on the real-life exploits of William
0: Adams and Tokugawa Ieyasu. Shogun has already been successfully adapted back in 1980 with a widely acclaimed miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain featuring intricate plots, political scheming, complex characters, and thrilling action. This time, husband and wife team Justin Marks and Rachel Kondo try to recapture the successes of the novel and early adaptations while increasing the levels of historical and cultural accuracy that are often perceived as flaws of this and similar works.
1: Starring Hiroyuki Sonata from The Last Samurai, Mortal Kombat, and John Wick 4, with Cosmo Jarvis of Peaky Blinders, Raised by Wolves, etc. joining the truly massive cast required to bring this complex world to life. Join Aaron and I each week as we deep dive into each episode uncovering the mysteries, the intrigue, and the glory of Shogun.
0: Shogun premieres on FX Hulu Tuesday, February 27th at the two-part debut. Our podcast will release each Thursday thereafter. Get our Shogun coverage by searching for Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Um, a contrapoint by Ivan it says, "I've enjoyed your thoughtful podcast, but I'm sorry, I have zero pity for criminals posing in blue uniforms. I've never been with David Simon on his anti-war drugs mantra. So what? Our society is going to be better if heroin and cocaine can be obtained in a local bodega? That's just stupid. Um, let's start there. What do you say to Ivan?
1: Uh, I say I'm I'm sympathetic to your point of view. Certainly, I despise criminal cops as well." Um, fuck those guys, right? Uh, but I, I <sighs> it's it's about like the follow-on effects of of decriminalizing drugs. I mean, it, if you if you look at the effects of having criminalized them, and and digging ever deeper into that trench, um, it just becomes this cycle uh, that we have to break. And the first step of breaking that cycle, or the biggest step of breaking that cycle, in my opinion, is to stop making the things that people are doing to deal with the pain in their lives, a criminal offense. Like these people, why do you think people use drugs? Is it because they're happy and healthy? No, it's, it's, they've got some issues in their life. They're trying to deal with, uh, if something has gone wrong for them and they see no hope, and to further compound that by telling them that now they have criminal records and they can't get jobs and they're living on the fucking streets because of it. Like that is not helping anybody. All it's doing is creating more criminals, quote unquote criminals. So like you have to change that cycle. You, you have to start somewhere.
0: And, I guess the other thing is, like, the like our country would be better if heroin and cocaine can be obtained in the corner bodega. That's the way it used to be. Like, you could literally get cocaine <sighs> sure. and Coca-Cola. You could get heroin and suspended in brandy. They called it the uh, laudanum. Uh, mm-hmm. And people did abuse it. And people did destroy their families and their lives. But, like imagine the worst situation you can think of like two parents that are get shooting up getting high on heroin and they're letting their kids you know uh, 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 and squat uh get get infested and in squalor and all that kind of stuff how does it make it, the situation better having a bunch of jackbooted people bust up their house go through all their possessions haul those mom and dads and sentence them to jail for three to five years and their kids go like right that was going to happen anyway if the if the parents keep on doing heroin and the cps gets called their children get like that's going to happen anyway you, at, and and that's something that could sober a parent up but if mm-hmm. they got to spend three to five years behind bars to get to the, and, and pay all lawyers fees and the mountains of stuff or take a plea bu- and be felons the rest of their life it just it just makes everything harder it's it's exactly. it's because the thing is is you're never going to have a society where zero people make bad decisions about what they do with their bodies and their lives um and the other the other thing is is like what are we not doing as a society to make people feel like they're hopeless to feel like they have to turn to drugs as an alternative to participating society um i mean i'm sorry you're not convinced but like and this is what that's one of the reasons that the country is the way it is because we got people like ivan who just don't see it look at look at what happened with smoking
1: like uh, tobacco um tobacco is actually a good example of a way to deal with something that is very harmful to people, but is, is not criminalized. Right. Um, tobacco usage was way higher, way, way higher, um, before we banned it in public places, right. Ban it in bars, ban it in restaurants, like say, yes, you can do this stuff. You're just going to have to do it in the comfort of your own home. Uh, in your own private spaces, uh, because it's harmful to you and everyone around you, it, we didn't criminalize it, right? You can still go to the store, to your corner bodega, and buy a pack of smokes and smoke till you cough up your fucking lungs. That's fine. Th- this is like a perfect example of how we could do this, right? Yes, go buy your heroin and shoot up in your, the comfort of your own home, if that's what r- it really takes. But we we can have. A whole bunch of programs like we do with tobacco um, for getting people off this drug, which is tobacco, Uh, a whole bunch of cessation techniques and different products to come out to help people who are addicted to this thing. We can do the same with other drugs. We just have to have the will.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, because I was about to say the same thing. Like, you, your corner bodega that has your cigarettes also has, uh, you know, Nicorette chewing gum to help you quit. Exactly. And has, pan, you know, you've got, you can go to your doctor and just sit in the office and there's pamphlets on how to stop smoking. There's pamphlets on how to quit drinking. The the warnings, you know, yeah. um, we can do that with drugs. And the other thing that I think the fallacy of people like yourself, Ivan, is that, like, if if you had heroin, <laughs> Uh, on the shelves of the bodega that like a lot of people would be like, you know what? Going to try this heroin thing. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> if I had to go out, but I'm just, I'm just going to give it a try with all the movies I've seen and all the, I'm just going to like, there's spray paint on the shelves. You can huff that shit. There's gasoline at the corner right. for four bucks. You can huff that shit. You can drink a whole thing, of robo trust and trip your fucking balls off. These aren't problems in society. The the, the 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 arbitrary distinction we made with heroin and Coke and marijuana especially is just insane yeah um but I don't know like I also live in a country where like I can't I can only I, I can only I can only buy like three days worth of cold medicine every other week because i might go in rv and cook up meth with it like it it just like i see that there's no limit to the insanity and the restrictions we'll have as citizens and we'll just be more and more of us like what happens in 20 years if like because like what i do is like uh starting cold season i go in once a week and i buy my limit i'm sure that looks suspicious but in 20 (laughs) years like what if and i stockpile a pseudephedrine what happens in 50 like in 20 years like somebody kicks my and I got like an illegal amount of pseudo fed like where's it going to fucking end
1: yeah. uh, these are these are bandages just papering over the the problems
0: addressing the symptoms not the causes yeah uh, yeah we need to attack the causes yeah Um Ivan continues with a lack of sympathy for the cops involved uh, to borrow a line for boardwalk empire you can't be half a gangster those cops are dirty and corrupt period don't try and draw some horseshit distinctions of criminality. They all knew what they're doing. I, look, I mean, okay, so we should murder jaywalkers because I don't want to draw some horseshit distinction of criminality between um, a serial killer and someone to jaywalk in jaywalking. <laughs> like, please, man, please, I, please I, I, allow the fact that there's like. I, that that's I, I guess like I don't understand how you can watch a show and 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 not worry a little bit that if you were Wayne Jenkins in that police academy going into that class with that uh partner that you wouldn't turn out just like him sure sure
1: and i I don't know if that's the equivalence here that he's making is is saying yeah uh any cop who's even slightly dirty needs to be killed i I don't know that's what he's saying i'm like, and no, am, but it's sympathetic to like yes, the Hersels and the the Jenkins need to be arrested for their crimes. They they have committed huge crimes. Uh and those people need to not only not be cops, but not be on the fucking streets. They need to pay for that. Uh it, where it gets fuzzy is around the edges when you got a guy like Suter, right? Who we're not even mm-hmm. sure like what he did or or his only crime is like looking the other way. That's tougher
0: to say, hey, this guy deserves to be in prison, right? Right. Well, the other thing is like, yeah, great. I'm glad that Wayne Jenkins and Herschel are off the streets. They seem like bad people. Yes. However, the system that we have is going to guarantee there's more Herschels and Wayne Jenkins. Absolutely. So, yeah. like, that's that's the thing. It's not that I'm like saw or, like, you know, like the people make the decisions they make and they go down the roads and I can still feel like I don't know why I can't feel sorry for people that, you know, uh made bad decisions when the whole system seemed propped up to reward them for that. But it's not that so much as just like if you think that like, oh, that I mean, this is just a few bad apples um, writ large, like the, 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 the we got a bad apple factory and we're bemoaning the fact that we have a few bad apples in it. Right. It's more more of a miracle that they're not more like the the, the cops aren't uh, completely lockstep solid. They kind of are. Anyway, I appreciate your email, Ivan. I appreciate you listening to stuff that you clearly don't agree with. I think that's commendable yeah. that you're challenging yourself that way. Um, and I wish I knew. I wish I knew the words that I could say to, 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 to swing you over to my side. But it's more of like, I'm a big harm reductionist guy. And I don't think there is ever going to be a country we live in with zero teen pregnancy was zero abortion, was zero drug use, was zero drunkenness, was zero I'm like what kind of society we can we can create to make that as little as possible and to make it as just and equitable for all. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we got the worst case scenario where a disproportionate few are paying the the, the heaviest price um, for again the the bottom line is for people that are so depressed and checked out of society that they want to just numb they just want to go numb you know and and there's no return
1: is the other problem right like the the things that we're doing are seeing no benefit
0: so yes like look at by any metric uh, number of arrests street value of coke or uh, of drugs the amount of people using them none of these metrics have ever 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 been affected by the war on drugs uh, Peter S. Said, I think you landed in your correct p- place with your analysis of Sean Suter. We don't know if he's a good cop who made some mistakes or a bad cop who finally found the right path. His death is still officially on the books as a homicide, though most people have looked into the case, conclude that he killed himself. Most local reporters have posited that a gentleman's agreement of some sort was reached by the power of the city to keep the homicide classification so that a Souter's wife and five kids don't lose their death benefits. Yeah. Hmm. If his, okay. his death had ruled a suicide, his family would get nothing. I, I've done a little bit of reading of this because, man, Simon was going to war with people. He had Sean Suter's lawyer or attorney or family's attorney coming after him with defamation charges and all this stuff. And on Twitter (laughs) and Simon wasn't having any of it, but I I think I agree with this and I kind of agree with it in general. Like I'm cool with him officially being slain uh, in the line of duty so that his wife and kids are taken care of. Um, And I can understand why his family and friend would want to fiercely defend his reputation, I think I am, too. I don't want them to have to pay the cost for his misdeeds if they're And any. I would honestly feel the same way about Wayne Jenkins, like, as as I want him to do his time. But, like, I wish his family could somehow be shielded from that, right. uh, even though I know that's impossible. And it's something we certainly don't give a shit about that when it comes to drug dealers, right? Or drug users. Uh, but that's more of, I think, a flaw in society. It's not like, oh, well, we should. It's just more of like, I just think we should... Honestly, the more I think about it, I just, I don't understand why we put people in jail for longer than 10 years. Unless you're, like, criminally insane, like, you know, I <laughs> died. I don't know. <laughs> um I'm one of those, I guess, soft on crime types who could never get elected. Uh, after suit is death, that neighborhood is put under what's essentially martial law. No one is allowed in or out without being stopped and questioned by the cops. This is found correctly to be completely unlawful. And the city paid out hundreds of thousands of dollars to affected citizens, <laughs> which... To the extent a suitor did frame or fake his own death, that's super egregious, right? Like (laughs) you're being punished for for nothing. You collect the punishment for nothing. Uh, I think Baltimore should be a cautionary tale about the perils of one party rule. Baltimore has been run by Democrats for by Democrats for Democrats for eighty years. This is one of the Hmm. true true facts. There hasn't been a non Democrat mayor since the 1960s, and no non Democrat city council person since the 1940s. Maryland itself has only a handful of non-Democrat governors in the same period. That's not to say which just always vote Republican. I think you get the same stagnation and corruption <laughs> under one party rule there, too. Just that putting all your eggs in one political ideology basket, you can end up in truly awful place over the long run. I think the one party rule as bred a system while enriching yourself illicitly. is just something you do when a system expects and rewards that behavior. It's not surprising when you get more of it yeah I might extend yeah. that to a
1: two party system in general right cause like yeah that's the thing why did they have a one party rule for so long because the only other alternative legit alternative was uh, not something people would even consider so yeah you give people a license to just kind of do whatever they want when they know that they're they're not going to be held accountable in the form of voting uh, for a different party yeah I, I think that's
0: exactly right. Yeah, I, I did this uh, a couple of years back. I did a political podcast series. And if you want to hear my full thoughts on the two party system, the one party rule and how to fix it. I search for three right turns. Don't blame me. I voted out um, because it's 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 my defendant. And I haven't changed my view since. So uh, I think it's a problem. But it's like it's one of those things where it's like, well, the Democrats like, what are you going to do? Vote Republican because they look at the, exactly. uh, the other side and it's like openly hostile. To, like, Mm -hmm. Republicans don't want to hear about, you know, people, um, you know, systemic problems, forcing people in the pathways. It's all about bootstraps and rugged individualism. And there's a reason why these cities are festering under this one-party rule, like David Sobin calls it misrule. Um, But I think it's like you'd have to do a lot of changes to get out of the two-party system, which is how we're in a one-party system at a lot of these big city levels. Right. So... Anyway, uh, and also a coded to this, the two members of the task force that were caught the seven year charges are now both out already. So those uh, Gondo okay. and uh, what's his uh, face? Ram are, are just, already walking the streets. Or just tell me they're not cops. Oh, that's all I want to hear. Please. You can't <laughs> right. be a felon and still serve as a cop, right? Surely not. You can't, you can't fucking vote in Florida. It's surely you can't <laughs> you can't carry bracelets. Yeah. The prosecutor that Wayne spoke speaks to in this episode, Ivan Bates, is currently running to replace Marilyn Mosby as the DA. Interesting. Uh yeah, we'll see if things get better. Uh, Ed Spillane is a real ass judge. And he wrote into us said props as always for the years of podcasting pleasure and insight you've given me. I found this series to be one of the most powerful displays of the many contradictions and injustices found in the present criminal justice system. I do hope and I've worked in the system for eight years as a felony prosecutor and now in the past 20 as a judge. I thought one of the most powerful segments was that of the man who got arrested, lost his job, car for him, everything as a collateral consequence of a misdemeanor arrest. Just really does happen every day. And with the proliferation of jail bookings being immediately on the Internet and data mining background companies, it's only getting worse. You both jumped on this easily missed segment of the series. There's also a segment, as you know, in the podcast serial about Cree- Cleveland criminal justice system that also touched on this issue. And again, I really encourage people, if you if you want to know more about the systemic rot check out serial season three. It's widely available on the internet. Often the collateral consequences of even the most petty misdemeanors can be worse than any punishment. Most of the defendants in my court, particularly with finally cases represent themselves, but assaults driving under influence theft all can have consequences much later. Even if you have a pending charge jobs, educational institutions, medical or other professional boards, all ask whether you have a pending case or a pled, no contest to anything, even if the charge was later dismissed. There are tools we can use, alternative punishments like community service or classes, punishments can be waived, the community service is an undue burden for someone who is indigent, and many dis- dis- misdemeanors can be expunged. But the problem is most lay people and even a lot of attorneys do not know about or use these expungements to clear their records. During a pandemic, I had to create a YouTube court channel, and I use that now to let people know how to expunge the record. It's complicated since the events in Ferguson, Missouri. You can see a dramatic downturn in discretionary criminal filings, particularly misdemeanors. But we do see violent crime has risen sharply in the past several years. Keep up the good work, and thank you for your insights. Um, he also forwarded a Washington Post article that he had wrote on why I refuse to send people to jail for failure to pay fines. This is something John Oliver has talked about too. The fact that like you can get a misdemeanor, uh, wind up with a you know a failure to appear in court because you work that day, and a two hundred fifty dollars fine turns into one hundred fifty you know a thousand dollar contempt you know and and if you ignore that long enough, uh, you go to jail and. Yeah. I don't know. I've been in places in my life where I've been to I, I've been in a place in my life where I was so poor that I didn't open my mail and I didn't check my ba- bank account statement because why the fuck would I? <laughs> I couldn't sure. do anything about it. It would just bum and stress me out. And I understand that that's the exact opposite way you should live in those situations. You should watch your shit like a hawk. But like, I don't know. I have a lot of sympathy for people to fall in these traps because you're just trying to keep your head up above water, and there's three people with their boots on your your head, neck, and shoulders. You know, it's easy to miss stuff, and it yeah. shouldn't. it It should be a situation where like it should it, it should almost be like I don't know. Like, you, you should be able to come in and be like, "Look, I fucked up. I'm not a criminal." Is there any way I can get this? And the and the system should work with you. It shouldn't make it to where like right. every time you miss a bell, you show up in front of a judge, your predicament is worse than the initial thing that you got pulled over for arrest. I don't, I don't know. There's, there's yeah, this. there needs to be some kind of good faith uh, allowances, right? Right. The whole bail bond system, the fact that that is a thing, uh most countries in the world do not use that type of system. Uh it just seems really predatory. And again, they go they go into that a lot deeper detail in the serial season 3. So I Appreciate you, Ed, for being one of those guys on the front line trying to make things better. But I understand that you're also your hands are cuffed with a lot of this tough on crime minimum sentencing. They take it out of the judge's hands because that was the problem. Mm -hmm. The politicians (laughs) pass these ornery things and the judges were like, I can't do this to kids. Right. And then the politicians like, well, fuck you, buddy. Now you have to. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, justice. Final, final email. Uh, James, first time writing in. I've joined you guys or hold on a second. Let me start over this over. James says two small things. Your last coverage, I thought was a little disappointing when you were talking about the war on drugs. I think contrary to your previous episodes, you were a little too quick to left voters off the hook. This is an issue. Most people don't care about If They do care. They all agree with the same solutions, such as uh, immigration reform. Um, I'm sorry if we came across as soft on voters, um, because that's ultimately where the buck stops in this country. Right? Sure. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what I said to imply that we are ultimately the ones watching this television show uh, that are responsible for it happening, but like I, I 100% believe that, and I wasn't trying to let people off the hook, uh, for sure. Sadly, most people care more about what they're paying at the pump or even now the culture war issues like critical race theory than they do about drug policies. Fifty nine percent of voters in 2020 cited violent crime as a very important issue, which will further fuel more tough on crime action for politicians. Let's not sexy. We must do our best to advocate for change and continual small improvements in democracies. We cannot get the sweeping huge changes. People just don't want them. Um a tiny bit of good news as I was feeling bleak after a few weeks of the last week's uh, worth of episodes, my province in Canada, British Columbia will no longer be arresting people for having under 2.5 grams of any drug on you. It's a start. Hmm. Um, I saw that James. And the only thing that made me uh, depressed and mad is that I don't know why America isn't at the forefront of changing these things. Um, we're certainly at the forefront of making these things of a lot miserable. We've essentially immiserated, uh, two whole continents with our drug bullshit. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know because like it, it, it boggles my mind that we spend so much time worrying about a trans woman winning a collegiate swimming event or, uh, kindergartners being taught a little thing about systematic racism which is you know like th- th- those things are like oh my god real shit and school shootings and 6 million people in in custody in this country are like I sleep I, 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 don't, I don't know what we gotta do but we gotta like you said small incremental changes like my nightmare situation is like we legalize marijuana, then everything else just goes and continues to fester and rot. But like, that would be a good first step. And there's places like we talked about Oregon, who's kind of gone full decriminalization. And in 10 years, assuming that's not a criminal hellhole, uh, I went to Bo- uh, Portland recently. It didn't, didn't seem all that bad. Uh, maybe that will start changing people's opinions on what is possible in this country. We'll see. Uh, I think that's it. Like I said, these problems aren't solved. Uh, This series is a challenge to us and this democracy to try to, to, to right the ship and to try to educate our fellow citizens and our neighbors, try to get community action, trying to force these politicians feet to the fire uh, so we can get some real change, but it's going to be a lot of hard work. And I suspect that we're going to have to suffer and sacrifice to, to get there. So Mm -hmm. that's it. That's it for, we own this city. Uh, That'll be it for taking back our corners until the next Simon slash Pelicanos or whoever he works with next. I've I can't imagine he would come out with something that'd be like, nah, fucking pass. because it's been nothing but hit after hit after hit. Uh, But uh, if you are a fan of prestige television, we're about to start a little bit more of an aspirational journey uh, through the 1990s with For All Mankind. Um, A slight fictionalization of the U.S. space race where uh, Russia got to the moon first and we never stopped. We never stopped the space race. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you guys would enjoy that because there's a lot of social commentary that I think you would find interesting. Uh, And if you like the pulpier stuff, uh, we're about to start the boys which also does a lot of social commentary and some crazy shit, just crazy shit. I just saw the first three episodes. There's some crazy shit in those first three episodes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So if you want some escapism with a little bit of social commentary, I can recommend the boys. And of course we got just a ton of stuff, Westworld fire and blood, uh, if you're HBO fans starting up this summer, uh, Rings of Power, another uh, fantasy series, there's plenty of stuff on baldmove.com. Why not? If you are subscribed to the We Own This Corners or Take It Back or Corners feed, why not try Bald Move Prestige, Bald Move Pulp? You subscribe to both of those, you get essentially everything that we make. So if you're fans, it's it's, it's, it's a two-stop shop for everything. Of course, there's also the club where you can get the Firehose feed, and get everything ad-free. But, you know. We're not we're not trying to push people that that hard on it. So (laughs) thanks for listening. Uh, Hope you join us on one of our other podcasts and we'll be back the next time David Simon puts up the bat signal. Until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya.